0: Good morning. How's everyone today? Some of you maybe are wondering what is going on right now. This is Pastor Dell. It's not the Lord. <laughs> the interesting thing is I'm actually here, but I'm sitting amongst you. Some of you are starting to figure out where I'm at, maybe, but... I'm sitting here not just for perspective, but I just want to get us thinking as we enter into this new series. It's, it's called Among Us, and just as some of you are aware that I'm amongst you now while you hear my voice, I just wonder in that time as, as Jesus made his entrance, there were many that had heard the Lord, knew the Lord, but only a few actually recognized his physical presence and that he was there. And what significance does that have? What significance would that have to us today if the Lord physically walked in to this place, if he was physically here? As we know, by his spirit, he is present with us. He is among us every day. And as he said, as Jesus said, when he left earth, he said that, you know, it is good that I leave because I send a comforter the Holy Spirit, meaning that, that God is with us always. He is present with us. But as we begin this, again, this series called Among Us, I want us to pause and think about what is the significance of God taking on human flesh and walking amongst his creation, those that were created in his image. What is the significance of that? There are many ways that God could have done this. There's many ways that God could have accomplished what he did. But there was obviously a perfect plan. There was a a means to an end, a motive that, that was behind it all for the arrival of Jesus in the way that it was, not just because it was prophesied, but even before that, perhaps all the way back to the Garden of Eden and when... Adam and Eve first fell, and sin entered the world, and a plan was put into motion. In this series that we're going to continue through throughout this Advent season, we're going to explore probably one of the most profound chapters of Scripture, and probably a a chapter of the the Scripture that you are very familiar with, but the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 establishes some very uh, important points and really a lot of things that, that we as believers, we as Christians, I mean, we hang our f- whole faith on, on some of these, these things. The fact that, that Jesus came, that God came in the flesh. My prayer for us this season and throughout these next few weeks, as we approach Christmas, is first and foremost that we would grow in our understanding. We would grow in our understanding of God's plan, of how He accomplished it, how important it was that He came the way He did and entered again into this earth the way that He did. I don't know, you know, I I say I don't know what it is, but I I really believe, I think as I step back a little bit and gain perspective and look at sort of how we've been, uh, the trajectory we've been on throughout this back half of the year, and I just sense this deep need for us to become more and more grounded in, in understanding why we believe what we believe, I think a lot of us know the terms. A lot of us know the things to say. A lot of us, and thats I'm not saying that in a negative way, but even myself included, we can, we can talk about things from a, um, maybe a, a, a knowledge point of view, but I don't know that we always do so from a, a deep understanding, something that's essential to, to why we believe what we believe because the ground is getting slipperier and slipperier. The climate that we live in culturally is getting more and more kind of hazy and it's getting harder to to see where those solid points to put our foot on to take that step and to stand and so i believe now more than ever church that we need to dig deep and to understand why we believe what we believe also my prayer during this season is that our hearts would become more grounded during this season i love the holiday season i love this time of year I love the fact that I'm in the, the Midwest and I, we actually get snow. I know you all don't like snow, but I still it's still entertaining to me for now. And I love going out. I love the hustle and bustle. I love seeing you know family and friends and the music and everything else. I love it all. But how do we stay grounded into the true meaning and, and, and what is th- that matters most in this holiday season? How do we keep our eyes focused on Christ and focused on the whole reason that we celebrate? The third part of this, I would say, as I pray for us this season, my hope would be for us to truly experience or encounter once again the living God. Not meaning he's gonna, again, walk in, in the flesh but I feel like at times, especially for a lot of us who have been believers for a long time, I think sometimes that, that first love, that flame, that it can kind of just kind of just simmer down a little bit and just be at a flicker. But how do we breathe life back into that? How do we once again find the new and the excitement of what it is to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of, of Jesus? The fact that we were saved from death in an eternity separated from our Creator because He entered into the world and saved us. And so as we are here today, and as we're here this morning, and we stand here and you know we've we've spent part of the time here lighting this next candle of love and, and what a you know great reminder. Of the love of Christ and you know we see these things and we even call this this is called a, a what an advent wreath right advent we hear that term we we say it all the time we maybe even have an advent calendar right we're not gonna go into what's in the calendar for some of us <laughs> but we have advent calendar we, we say it all the time and it's everywhere but do we really know, if I were to ask you today to stand and say, so tell me, what, is, what does Advent mean exactly? What, is it, what does it mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. So it comes from the Latin word Adventus. And it simply means arrival or appearance. Arrival or appearance. And as, as we are we were, we were moving towards the back end of the month, we're moving towards Christmas Day, this whole month, there should be this anticipation, if you will, or you know, or, or we're moving towards an, an excitement really. Not just for the the friends and family part and the gifts part, but you know, to celebrate the arrival of our Savior Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever stop and pause to just think. About what it what it might have been like. Now, again, a lot of people didn't know. You know, they knew the promise of the Savior, the Messiah, but they didn't know that. You know, a lot of them didn't know when it was happening or exactly how it was happening. But those, I mean, I think about that that account in Scripture of the shepherds and when the angels appear to them, and they're like, "Wow!" And I doubt very highly they kind of moseyed and meandered over to the where Jesus was located. They probably were on a dead run, right? This is the promised Messiah. And I, so I don't have this super clear, you know, I think it's different for all of us, but I, I want to challenge us this season. How do we bring the awe and the wonder back? Back to our, our relationship, the fact that Jesus came to earth for you and for me. That he came in again this this innocent form of 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 a baby, this 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 vulnerable child that was dependent upon its earthly parents, his earthly parents to, to survive for even for just food. And we welcomed him in a a stable or a cave in some accounts, they say it was probably like a cave. Cold and wet, no pomp and circumstance. But Advent, it's, again, it's, it means arrival or appearance. And so all of these things that we're doing, every time we light a candle each week, it's to make us think about and to focus and to kind of walk us in and to build that anticipation of, of when Jesus would come to earth. You see, God moved when he arrived. He moved from dwelling by his spirit in a structure, as we see in the Old Testament, where they would build a tabernacle or there was a tent or actual physical building where God's spirit and his, it would come down and inhabit in that most holy place. He moved from that to, to dwelling in his only son. Actually, it was he himself, God. He was dwelling amongst his creation. And now... You know, he we see this picture of him putting on flesh and blood as he entered into the world, and the technical term is hyperstatic union. It's that God was fully God and fully man as he came in the person of Jesus Christ. People make a mistake sometime, well, he was half God and half man. He's like, No. He was fully God and fully man. Is that hard to wrap your head around? It should be. <laughs> it should be. Because you're talking about God, right? <laughs> And so, to understand that he came that way, to understand that the same God that created the universe and everything we see and know, you know, was in this simple form of a baby. He, he came in the flesh to live out a life and to grow. You know, I often wonder sometimes, why, why didn't he just come as a man, you know? <laughs> he could have come and just gone straight to the cross, you know, and done, and done what he needed. But there was a purpose and a reason that he entered the way he did. And so while I know Jesus has already come, you know, I understand that, but I want us in these next few weeks to put ourselves uh, as as present during the time leading up to Jesus' arrival on earth. I want us to be engaged with our hearts and with our minds, and, and that that would affect how are we living how are we walking out our life? Are we, if we are a believer, if we are a Christian, how, how does that look to other people? How, are we being a light? Are we being a witness? During these next few weeks, we are going to be celebrating and anticipating the arrival or the appearance of God in the flesh. And so, again, we come to the, the Gospel of John. Now, this is, I'm not going to do a deep dive on the the author and and everything else. I've done that before, and and you can find that. But just a few notes. This is not John the Baptist that wrote this. It's the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. And as you may uh, recall, John was the, the innermost of the 12. There were the 12, and then there were the three, Peter, James, and John. But John is the one, as he, by his own proclamation is the one whom Jesus loved, right? It works out when you write it. You can put that in about yourself. It's actually kind of funny. You know, John often writes in these, these little points and these little notes. For example, when, he, uh, when they first heard of Jesus' resurrection and him and Peter end up in a foot race to the tomb, if you've read the scripture, you might know that John actually makes sure to, you know that he got to the tomb first. That's why I love. That's the beauty of Scripture. Is it's inspired and written by the Holy Spirit, but the, the personality of the person comes through, doesn't it? The authenticity comes through. But as you know, there, in the Bible, there are four Gospels, the Gospel meaning good news. And Matthew, he wrote, he wrote to a Jewish audience about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so when you read the, the Gospel of Matthew, you, this will come through. When you read the Gospel of Mark, he's writing to a Roman audience, and so you, you have this kind of fast pace, this gospel of action. It's moving as, as you think of a big city in Rome and how the Romans would have been. He's, he's moving quickly. And in Luke, he's writing to a Greek audience, and he's focused on, he talks often of this perfect man. Like, what does a perfect man look like? Manhood. This is a concept that would have been often discussed by their philosophers, and so he paints this picture And in John, as we're going to discover, he seems to present Jesus to the whole world as the son of God and in the flesh. And so Matthew, what Jesus said, Mark, what Jesus did, Luke, how Jesus felt, and John, who Jesus was. But I want us to know, as we prepare to jump in in John chapter 1, if you want to start moving there, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. But I want us to know that one of the first attacks on Jesus was from the Gnostics, if if you have read about them or heard about them. But this is what they attacked, and it wasn't his deity, but instead his humanity. What they were trying to say is that, no, it was, you know, Jesus wasn't here in the flesh. It wasn't, a, it was just a kind of a spirit, you know, body sort of thing. It wasn't actually the flesh. He wasn't really present in the flesh. And, you know, that's, that's the, the sad part is, again, they were trying to steer people away from the idea that God would come as a man and be, be a man. And they would try to bring this false doctrine in. And, again, we can see that uh, even a lot today, can't we? You know, you can talk to people often about Jesus, and it's very interesting the responses you get when you have that conversation. Most people, if you talk to them and say, <clears throat> do you believe in Jesus, most people will say yes. The question is, and you may have to take that conversation a little further, well, what do you, what do you mean by that exactly? <laughs> well, Jesus was a good man. Jesus was, he loved people. Some people go so far as to say he was a good prophet, right? He was a a prophet. And so we need to make sure we understand when people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, what do you mean by that exactly? So in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we're going to take just the first five verses this morning, and these are loaded and these are profound, but, and again, most of you might be able to even recite a lot of this. But John 1, beginning with verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And somebody say amen. <laughs> The darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your church. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this season, Father. Thank you for this season as we, as uh, followers and disciples of Jesus, slow things down and want to take time to recognize, Lord, as we, we, we approach the point where we celebrate the arrival of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that you will open our hearts this morning to your word, and God, let it land on good soil, Lord, and take root, so that we are changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, that you read through that, and it can kind of come across a little bit like a riddle almost, can't it? I mean, it gets a little crazy in there. Um, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, they say a lot of things in there. But it's so pivotal and so critical to the foundation of what we believe. And it all begins, it all starts, you know, with the phrase, in the beginning. In the beginning. Now, most of us are probably taken back in our minds to to Genesis chapter 1, where we've heard that phrase before, right? Anybody heard that before? Genesis chapter 1. And in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth, so this phrase of the beginning is, is, is very important, because how something begins is important, isn't it? How we start something is critical. Anybody ever built a house before? Anyone? Did you actually build it, or did you have somebody build it for you? Okay. But when you build something, like a house or a structure or even this building, what's the most important thing? The foundation, Right? You can have the most beautiful building. You can have all the structure on the surface, and it looks incredible. But without the foundation uh, being in place and being solid, things can get a little interesting, can't they? In fact, it's my understanding. I think that the church building, right, had a little bit of that. The actual structure, we they had to go in and, and kind of shore that up underneath because the foundation, you know, was was not solid over the many years. And so, you know, the foundation of anything is critical. And so, how it starts and how, again, this builds to, to what will ultimately be. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, you know, he takes it all the way back to Abraham as he lays out uh, who Jesus is. And so he goes back to Abraham, the lineage of Jesus, and starts there and kind of walks us in. In the Gospel of Mark, he only takes us back to the start of Jesus' public ministry. If you read the Gospel of Mark, he just jumps in sort of when Jesus is already kind of getting rolling with John the Baptist, and he jumps in and gets us going But he also begins his gospel with the same kind of phrase. He says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. That's what he says, and he chooses to start at that point. Luke will take us all the way back to Adam. Anybody ever read the first chapter of Luke? Probably not, because most people will just, yeah, a few people, you get to all those names, you're like, yeah, 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 okay, let's just get to the good stuff, right? But where it starts is important, though. We would all would agree on that. And so John is kind of, you know, the one-upper, you know? Anybody know one of those kind of people? The one-upper, you tell a story, you know? I had four wisdom teeth pulled, and they're like, well, I had six wisdom teeth pulled, you know? I ran a mile in, you know, six minutes. I ran it in two. (laughs) It's like, no, you didn't. You got a ride is what you did, but. Anybody know any one-uppers? Anybody sitting next to them? No, just kidding. Don't do that. But here here John comes in, right? And he wants to go all the way back. So he takes it back to the very beginning and really actually before it. And and I want to read just briefly. I want to go back to the, these first five verses. And I want to shift from the, the English Standard Version to the New Living Translation. And uh, I like the New Living Translation. It's the one I use typically for my devotionals. I love it. just reads really easy. And I love the way, though, that they they chose to translate that first part. So we read it in the ESV as in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The NLT says it this way, in the beginning, the word already existed. So the word didn't start at the beginning, it's the word already existed even at the beginning of where I'm starting, even at the beginning of of mankind, if you will, of, of when the earth was formed and all these things, the word already existed even before that. That's just the beginning that we're gonna begin. And it reads similar, but I just wanna read through it because I think it's good. Uh, And it goes on, the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, I love this, extinguish it. It can never extinguish it. And be encouraged today that, that as that reminder comes in at, I believe, the wonderful, most best time of the year, that, that the darkness can't extinguish the light. No matter how hard it tries, and so we can hold to that. So Jesus, of course, is the Word, and you know He was not. Um, it was not just there. He wasn't just there at the beginning when everything see, we see was created, but again, He had existed before that moment and for all eternity. And I don't know if you. I know. Remember, as a kid, I would try to think about what eternity was. And I would sit there and I could go back a little further and a little further and what that might be. And you can't get there, you know? Your mind just kind of melts at some point, and you're like, okay, yeah, you really are God, because he's always been. Jesus is God. Let me say that again. Jesus is God. You can say a a lot of things as I've mentioned earlier about Jesus and our culture today, but to say that phrase might get you into trouble in some places, that Jesus is God. Why? Why do you think that is? What does it mean if you say this and you actually mean it to be true, you believe it? If I were to look at your life today and to see how you live and how you talk, if I were to look at your relationships, if I were to look at different areas of your life, would it reflect that the fact that you believe that Jesus is God? What do I mean by that exactly? It's this, and this is the problem that people have with that statement, is because if we truly b- believe that Jesus is God, the problem comes in for most is that if, if, if that is the case, then we have to believe and adhere to what he has said. I know, it's a hard amen, isn't it? How are we doing? Are we living our lives in a way that, that would say, yeah, you know, what, what, what has been laid out in Scripture, what Jesus said? Let me boil it down to two simple ones. Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart? And are you loving your neighbor as yourself? This is the problem that people have with acknowledging Jesus as, as God, as Lord. It's because then we, 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 we have nothing to stand on, do we? We can't, we have, we have no dog in the fight anymore. We're like, well, if that's true, then I should probably listen and do what, what he says. Jesus is God. He's also called, again, he's called the word here. And that, I don't know, for you, that's always been something I, you know, what is that? Exactly. Why is he called the word? Why is that important? But the word there, the term is logos, logos. And you know, we think about that, the word. And you know, he could have been referred to as is really anything, right? I mean, God could have could have called anything. I don't know what you you know what I call him, but he could have been called absolutely anything. But it, it's the they use this term logos, the word for a reason. And one of the reasons was obviously to pull the reader, who is familiar with the Old Testament, back to the beginning. As it did for us already this morning. You know, it took us back to the Old Testament. And in Genesis 1:1, as we read earlier, or we talked about it, I'll read it here in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see this picture of God, and then you know, again, he says that God created the heavens and the earth. And where's the Spirit of God? It's hovering over the waters, right? And so even here, we're seeing this, this, the Trinity sort of come out and, and be able to, we're able to kind of identify that. And then the really interesting part in verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, eight times we see a phrase, two words. Do you know what it is? God said. God said. We can see God's word, again, whom John now is revealing to be Jesus. It is, it is Jesus. It is the dynamic. He's the dynamic force at work that's perpetuating the will of the Father. And you know the amazing thing? Maybe it isn't connected quite yet, but fast forward to the New Testament. Isn't that what Jesus was doing on earth anyway? Right? He was here. He said, what did he say? I come, he, basically, he came to accomplish his Father's will. Everything he did was for his father. And so he's still in the same role as he was at the beginning. I thought that was pretty cool, but anyway. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, and again, it just kind of brings in more support and and paints this broader picture. It says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, I mean, those couple verses right there are just a snapshot of very well, don't they? By him, through him, and for him. Why do we do what we do? It's, it's for for God. You know, we we might come to a place and maybe you're having a hard time dealing with something. Maybe somebody's just, you're not in a great place relationally. Why do we forgive? It's to be obedient. It's for God, right? It's to be a light and to be an example. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That is the God whom we serve. And he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. A second reason we may see, again, Jesus referred to as the Word here. It could have come because the Jews would sometimes refer to God as the Word. The Word. They would refer to God as Adonai, Hashem, which is the name, and sometimes Memrah, which is the Word. Memrah, of course, is where we get. Memory, Memra is an Aramaic term related to the Hebrew word, Amer, which means word, decree, or speech. And so when the Israelites returned from their exile in Babylon in the sixth century BC, most of them no longer spoke Hebrew. You know, they were in captivity that long that it began to slip, and they had shifted to Aramaic. And so it would make sense then that this term would be used, the word. And this is what's so incredible about the Scripture, and especially John's Gospel. Again, he's writing, remember, for a broad audience. He wants to pick up as many as he can. And so, you know, he starts where he would identify and the Jew would be able to pick something up that knew the Old Testament, but now he's going into what they would call God, which was the Word. Literally, they would use that same term. And another reason, John perhaps use this term, the word, is because he is attempting to appeal to even the most broadest on the very outskirts of his audience, meaning the Greeks. In Greek philosophy during that time, logos, the word, it did not only refer to the spoken word, right, they would talk about the word, the word would actually, it would also would refer to the unspoken word still in the mind, so the word hadn't actually been spoken out yet. It was actually still here. And so you know, they would sit around and they would actually talk about it and they believed in a logos, the word. The world in which we live, Is this is their thought, that the world that we lived in, that they lived in at that time, has a predictable order. Do you know that? We should know that, right? When we look around, and it, just, it baffles me to this day when I see people... <laughs> Or meet people, I should say, that want to say that, you know, how did we come to be? And you hear the millions and billions of years, and somehow, you know, things can just, you know, happen. And it's, it's crazy to me. It's absolutely crazy. And perhaps you've heard this many times, you know, this example, but, it, you know, if you've heard of the watch example, right? And you're walking along the path, and you see a, a watch laying on the side of the, the sidewalk in the grass, And let me ask you, has it ever crossed your mind if you were in that situation, would it cross your mind that maybe that's just evolved there over many, many billions of years this watch came to be? And you think about, I don't know if you've ever taken a part of watch I have when I was younger and the complexity of a watch. Yet how much more complex are we as human beings? made in the image of God. Yet people want to try to say that, no, there's there's no creator. There's, there's, that's just not possible. And so, again, understanding, even in Greek philosophy, that they would have understood uh, the word. So while John probably had a number of reasons why he penned what he did and the way he did it. It is imperative that we recognize that the main point, though, is to declare the deity of Jesus Christ. All right? All this other stuff is great and it's good and it gives us understanding, but John's main focus was was that of the deity of Jesus Christ. William Cook, in in one of the commentaries, he says it like this. He says, Jesus is God, the preexistent creator who took on human flesh in order to make the unseen God visible and to provide a way of salvation for those who would believe in him. That's kind of it all packaged together. Why did did Jesus do what he did? Why did God choose to go the way that he did and and to accomplish things? That is why. That is why, to to make a way of salvation. So we see here right at the start of, of the Gospel of John that the word preexisted with God in verse one. That the word exists in the closest possible relationship to God while remaining distinct from God, okay? That's, that's the Trinity, right? And in, that's in verse uh, one and two. And then in verse two, John also proclaims that the word is God. So again, we see that, that how close that is. And again, I'm not gonna stand up here with, my, with the egg illustration of trying to explain the Trinity, because it it's hard, it doesn't work. <laughs> I failed on my kids at one point when I tried to explain it that way. They asked me, what does an egg have to do with God? And I just finished my whole like half-hour presentation, and it failed. So the Trinity is complex, it's hard, right? But understand, again, they're together, and, and it's all painted here for us to see. And lastly, in verses three and five, that God created all things through the action of the word. You know, the, one of the main themes of John carried throughout the whole gospel is two things. There's life and light. Life and light. In verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not, has not overcome it. Why did Jesus come? Because, because mankind was in darkness. And those that don't know Christ are still in the dark. They're walking around looking for the light switch and can't find it. And they need to know that Jesus has come for them. In John 8 and verse 12, John 8 and verse 12, later in his gospel, he says this. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. You know, as we look around the world and you know, in one sense people are alive, their bodies are functioning, their lungs fill with air and they're they're alive in that sense. But I don't know if you've heard the phrase of the walking dead, so to speak. They're unaware that there is a life that they've not yet experienced in Christ Jesus. I was chatting this week with someone who's um, very new to the faith and comes from uh, a a different faith. And they were just saying how, you know, once they experienced Jesus Christ, as, as they put it, Once they experienced the peace that He brings, once they experienced and had an encounter with the Living God, and they have they entered into relationship, they said everything changed. Everything changed because you cannot people cannot find life without Jesus Christ. They cannot do it. They cannot find light without Jesus Christ. They try, and you you see people trying desperately by filling their lives with stuff and things and even relationships and things, but it it all falls short if Jesus isn't at the center of it in it all. As we prepare to to close this morning, I, I want us to, again, just to think about that. Is Jesus still our first love? Is Jesus... Being the light to the world through us, are we giving him that opportunity? The whole idea behind Advent and it's it's celebrating the arrival of God in the flesh and the significance of that. You know, as we look at the four Gospels and. I've given you a few snapshots, and one more, you know, would be to say it this way: that Matthew starts his gospel with the genealogies. Mark has Jesus bursting onto the scene as a full-grown man. Luke informs us of his research methodologies. And John begins by informing us that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So a question for today for you to take and just I would encourage you to spend some time with it this week. Is this, who are you most looking forward to seeing this holiday season? Who are you most looking forward to seeing this holiday season? And I don't wanna, you know, you don't need to feel guilty because you're excited about, you know, your your family coming home or being together. That's great, that's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the question is trying to get at, where is Jesus on that scale? Where is Jesus in the picture? Is he in the picture? I think sometimes we can forget just how wondrous and mysterious Christmas is. It's incredible. It's incredible. (laughs) I, you know, we, we come into church and, you know, we're gonna do all the things this season that we, that we do. And as wonderful as they are, and as amazing as, you know, some of these uh, things will be, I just, I just feel like we sometimes lose the awe and wonder of, of what God did for us. It's easy, it's easy to do, right? Am I alone here, or can I? You don't have to amen it, but just, yeah. Move a little bit, just let me know you're here. And it's okay, you know. We're, 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 yeah. It's it's the human nature, right? It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get caught up in other things. But I just want to again encourage all of us, and I'm doing this to myself as well. You know, how do we bring Jesus back to the center? How do we come back to that place and just to the awe and wonder that God would choose to enter as as a as a small baby? We're going to finish up our time this morning by singing a, a familiar Christmas carol. It's one of my favorites, and it'll probably be one of yours too, Oh, Come All you Faithful. And you know, I just, I love it. I love, you know, Christmas time. I love singing the songs, and you probably do too. And you know, we sit there and we sing, "Oh, Come All you Faithful, you know, and we're just kind of going along, and it's great. But I want you to, this morning, as, as you sing it, I want you to, to pay attention to the words of this, this, this Christmas song. And one of the best parts is this. Yea, Lord, we greet thee. Born this happy morning, Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Listen to this. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you didn't realize that was in there. I almost probably could, if I'm being honest. I've sung it many times, but I don't tend to, that's like probably later on in the verses, and they're like, okay, <laughs> I'm just interested in the melody. But I want you to think about and listen to what the words that you're saying. And that's, we say it often here, when we, we lift our voices in praise and worship and our services, don't just let your mouth move by itself. <laughs> Muscle memory. Engage your heart to what your mouth is saying. Let your mind hear and listen to what's being said. And so that would be my encouragement to you as we, we wrap our time here together. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person, Lord, here in this place, those watching online. God, I I just, again, would pray and, and, and ask you to stir our hearts, Father God, stir our hearts in such a way that we're brought back to that place of awe and wonder. I think just in the day and age we live in and we see just so much of technology and just so many amazing things on a day-to-day basis in one sense, but also, Lord, that I think we've misapplied that word awesome to so many things, where you are truly the only one who is awesome. You are truly the only one who is worthy of praise and adoration and worship. And God, we just, Think about even in even in the your that, that form of a baby, Lord, in, in, in this this fleshly form of a small child in this manger that still people came to worship because they recognized who you were. God, may our hearts be at a place this morning and in a place, Lord God, to worship you. God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anything, Lord, that's standing in between us and you today that we would let go of those things, that we would ask for your forgiveness and we would make those things right. God, I pray that this would be a season, Lord, for us to once again just experience the beauty, Lord, of our relationship with you and the beauty, Lord, that, that you've created a way for us to be in relationship with you. God, we humbly recognize, Lord, the awesomeness of you stepping down. It's because we could not reach you, no matter how hard we tried, even today, no matter how hard people are still trying to reach you, but they cannot without the work of the cross in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, that today, as we sing and lift our voices, Lord, that we would be counted as faithful, that we would come to you, Lord, as your faithful servants. So, God, ask you to just bless each one, and we thank you, Lord, for this season as we prepare our hearts, Lord God, once again to celebrate the coming of the greatest gift ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?